Welcome to Pop Culture Hill. I'm Claire. I'm Siobhan. And and we are so excited (laughs) to talk about some culture. Yes, we are going to talk about the hills we are willing to die on in pop culture, both our small versions and our big versions. Um, I'm excited about the stuff I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to warn you in advance, I feel very nebulous. Like, I, the point of the podcast is for us to come in and come, like, hot on something. Yeah. And, and one of my hills today is, the, my big hill, I'm very, is, is hot, I think, only to you. And then my smaller hill is, like, a very nebulous thing. And I was like, okay. man, I was, like, sitting and I was like, oh, I wish I, I should, like, I pick my, you know, really nail into my little specific hill. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> no, I'm just going to talk about what I want to talk about. Um, yeah. With the, you know, listen, got a microphone. I have to say, Here we are. I have to say I'm in a, a similar situation. I, I have a hill that is my, 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 my big hill is a, is a mountain, is, is the one that Ooh. has loomed large for quite a while. Oh, and damn. I, in preparation for today, um, have like now a completely new nebulous take and like don't know what's going to come out of my mouth in <laughs> five minutes when we get there. So we'll see what happens. Great. Wow. I think you have a lot of confidence that our small hills are only going to take five minutes. I think we do hour long episodes pretty regularly, but That's who knows? True. We shall That's see. True. Yeah, Croy was like, you'll be done at like 11, and I was like, 12.30. Good guess, my guy. Good guess. Easily. Yeah, yeah. Easily. Consumed any good culture this week? Oh, so much good culture. So it's been, we've been watching all of the, we've been doing the award season uh, movies. So I've been watching a lot of new movies, and... Mm-hmm. I have seen several that I have left me being like, what do I do with this? Um, but none of those are my wee hill. That's not really what you're asking. No, but I'm just curious. Did, yeah, have you watched I, Belfast yet? No, I have not watched Belfast yet. Okay. Have you watched Licorice Pizza yet? No. I. Okay. Yeah. And I think there are people who are listening to this who are both going to be like, why haven't you listened or watched that movie yet? We have to talk about it. And people who are like, or not. We have to talk about it. All right. But there's nothing to be said about it until after you have seen it. And I really encourage you, if you are a person listening who has not seen Licorice Pizza, like, don't, please don't read anything. Stop right now. Consume, consume nothing. Well, that was going to be my question, because what I know about it, I was like, hmm, do I want to contribute to the, to this movie, essentially? Go in as unprepared as you can, and then let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that is my least favorite thing to do, so thank you for the challenge. Interesting. Okay. I actually... Okay, so that is now... Well, we'll come back, but when I'm ready for my wee hill, that's my wee hill. Oh, okay. Well, what right. are you... There's... Let's hear Let's Well, I was going to ask you. Let's flip it. What have you been consuming? But it might... I know that part of it is related to your wee hill, so maybe we should just jump right in. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. I think I, okay. I talk about... Listen, if you're not following us on the Pop Culture Hill Instagram, I run the Pop Culture Hill Instagram with Siobhan and producer Hank's like assistants. But um, but it's Claire. Claire is a is <laughs> is the one. Yeah. Thank you. Um, as I I state, graphic design is my passion, which you can tell from my gorgeous edits I make for our Instagram. So please do follow. Um, one thing, Siobhan, did you receive anything from in the mail from me in the past week? No. Okay, then you have something coming. And so I was wondering, because I've mailed, like, 
I just had to be like, did I? Because I do frequently like open things and think I've responded to people, but I've only done it in my own brain. No, that makes me feel better because I mailed like 10 people things um, related to the podcast and no one has said anything about it. And I was like, oh, wow. So glad I spent all that time handwriting cards to people. I definitely didn't. If that's what it is, that would have stood out. No, I didn't. Okay, good. Because I was like, wow, really just spent my time writing literal handwritten thank you notes to multiple, multiple people to no response, which is just another reason to not be kind to people. I will also say I have started to do this thing that I am borrowing from a friend who like orders things online and then leaves them unopened in, in one room in her house until she's ready to like open them and like integrate them into her life and like put it away right but until then it just kind of like sits in limbo I don't um, I could never I could but, never okay ever so do here's that. here's my version is now if I know that I like if I receive something and this has happened to me this week somebody sent me something in the mail and not you <laughs> <laughs> but I did receive a piece of mail from a, a very dear friend and I knew that I was going to need like time and like mental emotional space to like engage with it in a good way not in a negative way but like in a good way mm-hmm. and then that I was going to want to respond pretty immediately so I've like I'm like saving it for myself for a time when I know that I can accomplish that because right now what I know will happen is I will like get like a quarter of the way through and then I'll like flake out and go do something else so I'm waiting good for you I mean I guess that's smart I'm the person who I will get my mail and in the walk from my mailbox into my house I have opened all the non-junk mail (laughs) like I'm like oh oh, I I got mail I love a little mail treat so I love to like I know I love a mail treat but that's the difference is you like savor and I do not. <laughs> I, I also think it's that you can trust yourself to not forget to respond after you've opened it. <laughs> oh, fair. See, this is like, uh, I talk about this with Hank a fair bit. We do that too. We have similar brains. I think all of us do. And mm-hmm. I think I have learned my thing is like, uh, I, I saw a phrase recently that was, um, put it away, don't put it down. And I was like, that's the type of thing where I will immediately not put it down, I will put it away. Or I will put it mm. in a place that I know like, if I have to respond to it, I will, like, create a reminder, and I will put it a thing and, like, add it to my list. And I'm not perfect on it, uh, as many of you know, if you text me ever. Sometimes I'll text, like, for an hour straight, and then you won't hear from me for, like, 24 hours because I'm staring yeah. at your text message going, mm, soon. <laughs> <laughs> Someday. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're watching Abbott Elementary now. I am, and I love it. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I and like I have to, like things. I have to confess to you that you are not the person who told me about it first, and I have to give credit where credit is due. No, you don't. I do, because <laughs> I did the Siobhan thing where I got a very strong recommendation for this show in, like, December <laughs> from Jen, and I would not watch it until... Until you me. Told me to watch it. Yeah. Sorry, Jen. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry to be divisive. <laughs> sorry to be divisive on the pod. Uh, good. I'm it. just glad you're watching it. I've had more it's people. It's such a delight. Oh my it's god, it's so good. Del- it scratches, like I said, it scratches that itch of like sitcom. Yeah. Good sitcom. And in the pilot, I texted like 18 other people to be like, watch this show. Seriously, I have so. too. Yes, and I feel like I've gotten a lot of responses from people. I'm not taking credit for it, but I, I, I've been very vocal about my love of Abbott Elementary, uh, Elementary, and I think a lot of people are. Um, did you ever watch that? 
I have I'm, not I'm watched skipping the Jimmy around. Kimmel. I should finish the sentence this, I'm saying, but this is fun though. This is how our real conversations <laughs> flow. Welcome yes. to the room. Yes, welcome. Everybody. Enjoy. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> um, there's this great clip. Turns out Abbott is the last name of one of um, Quinta Brunson's sixth grade teachers, and she named the show after her. I love that so much. I think it's it's really touching. It's very nice, and it's just a good reminder to all, like I don't know to all the I know a few teachers. One of my cousins is a an amazing teacher in Minneapolis. One of our friends is a teacher in the CPS school system, and mm-hmm. um, I know a handful of teachers. And I just gotta say, I, I, there are no words for what you guys are doing and what I am, you know, not doing in comparison. And I'm just like, I love this show because I don't feel like it shies away from like the hard parts of being a teacher, but it's not like a, a show about how hard it is to be a teacher. Cause I think teachers know how hard it is to be a teacher and they don't need you to yeah. be lectured at about how hard it is. They need to be able to laugh at how hard it is. Otherwise, like, what are you doing? But again, as a non-teacher. And there are some there's some real gems in there for non-teachers as well. There's a lot of like of great messaging in there about about uh, like mission-based or like value value-driven work and um, self-care and how those two things fit together. Um, it's really great, just great. Just good. Just a good recommendation top of the yeah. day. And some of the funniest Jesus act like just great comedy like oh my god the cast is unreal and I have to say you we you talked about the straight to camera look that mm-hmm. reigns rain, supreme yeah for you from Abbott Elementary I gotta say I think the character the like minor character choice t- to camera detail that really takes the cake I was talking about this with another friend yesterday is um is Ava's hair toss to camera like the it is <sighs> There is, I mean, it is so funny. Do you Every smell time she the does, Emmy? it's just like, do you smell the Emmy in the air? Like oh I just, God. it is so the direct eye contact hair toss is it. There it's, is, it's so good. Chef's kiss, chef's kiss. I love it. Oh, I, I also it. want to give one more content shout out um, that I've been listening to this week. That's related to one of our our first episode, which talked about Harry Met Sally. If you mm-hmm. are a person who is interested in that conversation, a friend of mine, Ned, runs a podcast called Roll Calling. It's called oh, yeah. Caroline. I saw this. Yes, and they do basically they pick a favorite actor and then they'll watch. I think it's like five movies from that person, mm-hmm. or they kind of go through some of their favorite in the canon of that actor. And they're doing Meg Ryan. Um, and just released their When Harry Met Sally episode, and I mm. truly highly recommend it. It's a really lovely conversation um, and a kind of conversation about rom-coms in general and Meg Ryan. So just a, just a little little wee shout-out before our a wee hills. shout-out, yes. Listen to it. So give me, your, give me your tiny baby hill, your little mound, if you will. Your My wee hill. Mm-hmm. I don't remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this is the wee hill. I've got it. And it's totally gone. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what it was. I was, before I had that epiphany, going to talk about this TikTok trend that is going on. Not just TikTok. Was it the actor one with the, it's not my name? Yes. Go for it. Explain it. Explain the trend. Okay. So this is a trend. It, It features this song by the Ting Tings. That's not my name. And it's these actors 
showing clips of themselves. It's like they're real. It's like yeah, they're it's fucking like Reese, real. It's like Reese every great role they've ever had. Yeah, yeah Reese and it's like, that's not my like, name. not my name. It's, you know, Elle Woods. And they call me Elle. Yeah, mm-hmm. all these different things, right? As a person with a complicated motherfucking name that people try to change and, and not have to say, fuck you guys. Like, that's <laughs> like, oh. That's not what that song is about. Well, so that's what I, but then I was trying to Google search the origin of the song and it turns out that actually kind of is, is what the song is about. So I am wrong. Um. (laughs) No, I think, well, here's the thing about that trend. I was actually thinking about this is it is sometimes you watch trends on the internet and they feel organic, right? Like, do you Mm -hmm. remember the guy who was skateboarding and drinking cranberry juice while listening to Fleetwood Mac? Um, that no. you don't, this okay. guy was huge. Oh my God. He was, it was a TikTok that came out. Oh God. Last year in 2020. And it's this guy, let me find his handle, but there was just him on a skateboard drinking cranberry juice, listening to dreams by Fleetwood Mac. His handle is at 420 dogface two zero eight. It's dog with two G's. And it's this incredible, I mean, it's just the vibes are impeccable, right? Like you just watch it and you're like, yeah. God, to you're be like, skateboarding. You're like, I want to be riding a skateboard, drinking cranberry juice. And, and to again, not a glass of cranberry juice. It's the, it's the full on just jug Ocean of cranberry. Spray? Yes. Is it Ocean Spray? Yes, it is. Right. And he got a Good. truck and a bunch of stuff out of it. Um, Good for and him. And that felt like such an organic, and the, the song kind of came back, felt like a very organic trend. This is manufactured in a lab by PR agents for actors to be able to do something like this. So mm-hmm. I understand why you, Siobhan, would be annoyed <laughs> because CO Ben, I can imagine there's a, yeah. a handful of and, things people call you, but this and is like, bad. And it, there are so many people who have this experience, right? And, and um, yes, who are genuinely like handed a name. I know people who have experiences like that. Like there are so many people who in America um, have the experience of mostly white people not being willing to to try to say their name, Mm -hmm. which is shocking because there are a lot of very complicated white people names out there with lots of consonants where you would not expect them. And I think many of the people who experience uh, this type of, of rejection of their birth name, of their given name, um, which is actually totally irrelevant of their name, mm-hmm. um, are people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to me. And most of it is just like, it's not that hard <laughs> to say someone's name correctly. Or even, I honestly don't care if you get it wrong, if you are trying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so frustrating, uh, as a uh, yeah, and I I actually have totally changed the way I handle this with people in my life, and it's been a, I'm 30, and it took me until like this year to figure out that this is what I was willing to do. I spent a lot of time apologizing for my name and being like, look, it's okay that you're getting it wrong because it's weird. But my name is not weird. Mm-hmm. My name is just not part of it. Is that my name is not in English? Yes. <laughs> um, it is not an English name. So. But so that is the pivot that I have made. So now when I'm now that I'm like a a more I feel more secure in a lot of other ways and I Mm -hmm. feel more willing to stand up for what I think I deserve, which is to be respected enough to be called by my name. Yep. 
um, which is pretty basic. Um, I have started just telling people it's actually pronounced this way, and I don't qualify. I don't try to make them feel better. I don't try to comfort in any way. Mm -hmm. And if they are really, really hung up on it, like I can see the cognitive dissonance on their face, the only thing I will say in addition is it's not an English name, so don't try to make it make sense with English rules. Like that is what is tripping you up. Just kind of let it go. And that is something that I, I actually learned from the queer community surrounding pronouns, right? Mm -hmm. Like when somebody fucks up someone's pronouns, the right thing to do if you are corrected, right, is to move on. Mm -hmm. You don't need to spend a lot of time apologizing and tripping over yourself because in that situation, Mm -hmm. you are putting your discomfort over making a mistake over the other person's discomfort at having been misgendered. And it's better to just move on, right? So I have learned that lesson uh, the hard way by fucking up people's pronouns Mm -hmm. and doing the wrong thing. And so I'm trying to like reverse engineer that for myself and apply that to what I can expect people to call my name Um, or what I should expect people to call me. Um, Yeah. So why do you think this trend rubs you? I think I know why it rubs you. But that's what it is. It's just like, that's what it is, is it feels so... uh, I don't want to say... I'm working a lot on my language, uh, on my ableist language, so I'm looking for something that that feels appropriate. Um, it feels very uh, narrow-minded. It mm. feels very privileged. Like no, but I think you're exactly right that this is like a, a PR move, and nobody for a single moment paused to go, "What is this going to?" F- feel like to somebody who's had even a slightly different life experience to mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does this, how does this read mm-hmm. to, to anyone on the other side of this? Um, yeah. And I, and I think part of why it strikes me, part of why it hits me so hard is because if I feel this way, like my name is not that complicated. Um, and I have a lot of privilege. And so if I feel this way, like that is an indication of how much worse sure. it is for so many other people, right? So it re- it's not that complicated to try to think through someone else's experience, I don't, I don't think. Um, yeah, and to pivot and be like, let's just not do this. It just feels like what does Gen Z say? It's so it's like chuggy. Like I'm like, oh my god, you know. It is chuggy. It's very chuggy. It's very cringe. Why are we doing this? Also, <laughs> it's very cringe for a bunch of the best known celebrities in the world to be like, "Do you remember all of the roles I've had That's that like, I was nominated for a billion awards for?" Yeah, I remember. Reese Witherspoon. We know your fucking name. Like, it's you know cool. what I mean? Like, I, I do remember. It. Yeah, Reese. Do you remember when you got drunk and got pulled over and screamed at a random cop? Do you know, do you know my I, fucking name? Do you know who I am? A truly incredible, uh, incredible work by Reese Witherspoon in yeah. that in that moment. <laughs> I did not mean to curse so much this morning. That just gives you an indication of how spicy we're feeling. That's okay. That's this is my normal as you well know, my normal state of speaking is just True. peppered with curse words to the point where I like called myself a bitch in a work meeting the other day and I was like, I should maybe not. Maybe that's a bridge too far. <laughs> that maybe is a that's too a far. bridge too far. I was talking about how nice Hank is in comparison to me. Um and so I was being a little facetious, but uh, enough that I said it in a work meeting. And I was like, hmm, next time, 
I won't call Next myself time, a no. bitch. <laughs> Next time, everything up until that point. <laughs> so is your hill, this is a, a bad trend? This is a bad this, trend? This, this, my hill is... Yeah, this is a bad trend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this trend, yeah. My hill is this trend really only works if you have a very Western English sounding and looking name. Um, And for everybody else, it's not a fun trend. (laughs) Would you ever do this trend? No. Oh, with what people have actually yes. called me? with like yes. you, Siobhan. Okay. See, that's the other thing is like <laughs> that is a funny version of that, right? Like I would love to see people who have complicated names um, or unusual names or less common in America names yeah. um, do this trend. And I think it would be very funny. Um, and actually, speaking of shout outs related to this topic, the positive version of this I think is uh is being done right now by a a woman named Ola Magicadunme and mm-hmm. she is an Irish woman and she is she's done a documentary called Say My Name but mm. it's in Gaelic sure. um in Irish and it is Irish people with non-Irish sometimes names mm-hmm. just like speaking how their name should be pronounced there's a trailer on Instagram and it's going to be um, there's going to be a screening online this Wednesday. So I am really excited to see like a positive affirming version of this trend. I love that. <laughs> so I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. And Ola does a lot of work surrounding like what does Irishness look like? What does it mean to be Irish? Um, and it's, it's really powerful and important to me as an Irish American who is often had her Irishness questioned because I am also black. So, um, I feel really strongly about, about the work that Ola is doing. So check that out. Beautiful. I'll post about it on the, uh, pop culture. Yes. We'll have some links in the notes. Yes, we will. We happily will. Um, why do we go into British accents? We're just talking about your Irishness. This is dark. I don't know. (laughs) It's just that we are two theater kids and (laughs) that's what you do. I don't know. You know, this actually is an interesting segue into my mini hill, because before we started recording, I was talking about, um, uh, I'm going to be talking about a book of essays I'm currently reading, and the person who wrote it has a name that I was pronouncing one way in my head, and then before the podcast, I wanted to make sure I was not going to mispronounce his name, Um, and I found a video of him saying his name, and I've been practicing all morning, so wish me luck, because I'm now, what? This is bringing up a, a visceral memory of our origin story. Oh, God. Go for it. Tell it. Claire and I met doing a play. Mm-hmm. And for this play, Claire had to do the curtain speech. And as part of the curtain speech, she had to say the name of the author of the play. <laughs> and Claire spent a lot of time as like a 22-year-old doing like independent research before this was very early in the playwright's career, so there was not a ton of like video interviews with the playwright online. I totally Claire, forgot about this. Claire did so much research. You dug up like the two videos that existed and listened to her obsessively <laughs> saying her own name. Like you listen to it on repeat, and then you get out there opening night. You say her name flawlessly. And backstage, the artistic director of the theater pulls you aside to be like, actually, it's pronounced and a complete mispronunciation of the name. I totally (laughs) forgot about this. Wow. Yeah. 
And I remember you being like, I don't know what to do if I should just like take the note and say it wrong because this guy is telling me that's what I'm supposed to do or. God. Oh, man. Uh, so young. Yeah. You did. Just, you were just like, are you sure? Because I looked it up. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we only met her. She came to one like she came to our first rehearsal, which I remember being very yeah. surprised by. That's that was so awesome. funny. Wow. 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 Yes. So Anyways, I have so. this. No, I appreciate that because it is color context to this. It's because I, I, I don't know if it's auditory processing. I don't know if it's just the way my brain works or whatever, but I am a person who like, uh, I will think of something and, and sometimes won't come out the way I want. My brain often will move faster than my mouth. Right. So mm-hmm. I have to really, as I'm sure you can tell from this podcast where I stop, a halfway through every sentence I say to start on my next sentence. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to be better about that, but it means that I then will obsess about something like this. Like mm-hmm. I'm literally staring at his name. So I'm just going to say, it. okay, now I'm freaking myself out. It's not even that like, it's, it's just a name that I didn't know how to say. Should yeah. I keep oh, and this, <laughs> this? This is what I was, this is what I was saying. It, it's okay. If you like say somebody's name wrong, if you, try to say it right yes. moving forward it's not okay to just give up and be like I'm never <laughs> gonna get it right and so you're just gonna have to deal with me saying your name wrong forever or <laughs> calling you something completely different yep so all right well okay so Hanif Abdurraqib wrote this incredible book of essays um Hanif is a poet and culture writer and like person about the internet also mm. a MacArthur fellow so like truly unbelievable a genius and I'm, Truly, and I'm very late to the party. I think this book of essays was published in maybe 2017, and it's called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us. And it is Mm. a collection of his writings on pop culture and sports and blackness in America. And it is, and he's this from Ohio, so it's very Midwestern, so it's very up my alley. Um, This was a recommendation um, I do, I'm on Storygraph, which is a uh, basically a, yes. an alternative. I am also on Storygraph because of you. Oh, it's an alternative to Goodreads. If you're a person who tracks your reading or wants to have your to-be-read list somewhere or whatever it is, I like it because I like the data. I also do try to divest where I can from Amazon. It's essentially impossible to do so, but small things We're like trying. this. I'm like, I'll, I'll use this app that was created and run by a black woman that does, honestly, a better job than Goodreads. So... I am doing a challenge with them, which is a genre challenge, um, where I'm trying to read. They give you all these examples of different genres for you to read. Um, and they're like, read a contemporary book by an indigenous author. Read a... Have you done that one yet? Because I have a great suggestion for you. I know you do. It's, is it... Uh, it's, it, it, yeah, it is. Yes, we've talked about it. It's Firekeeper's Daughter. It's incredible. That Anyways. one it was on my short list of ones to read, but Night Watchmen by Louise Erdich came in first. Okay. And that book, I mean, one of my favorites, I think that is a very, I mean, one of Pulitzer, like I'm not alone in this thought, but that book is an incredibly beautiful, I mean, I love that book. It's like a really special character study about being um, a Native person in the 1950s Mm. as these kind of new versions of of quote unquote termination um, legislation kind of started coming through and it kind of revolves around Louise or uh, a fictionalized version of the author's grandfather who was a night, night watchman and who was involved in like tribal council um, back in the mm-hmm. 50s. Uh, uh, beautiful. 
So, anyways, Firekeeper's cool. Daughter is still on my list to read. Okay, good. Good, good, good. But this is leads me to a collection of, I think it was just like a collection of essays by um, a person of color who you have not read before. Mm. And a friend of mine, Eric, uh, this is one of his favorite books ever. And I, the cover is, is really eye-catching. It's really fun. And it's really fun. And I, I mean, it's one of these books that like, Everybody said it was the best book of the year in 2017. So here I am in literally 2022 telling you all to read it. Leads to my hill. So he is a Midwestern, like, pop punk, pop music type of dude. So we're very, like, I have a lot of, he has this incredible essay about Carly Rae Jepsen that I just died over. ride or die for I, I love Carly her. Rae. An OG. I mean, uh, someday we'll talk about how Emotion is the best pop album of the the 21st century. Like, I think there is maybe that's didn't she expose Owl City? Also, isn't that her? Wasn't she the one who was like, "This guy sucks"? I don't know, but that sounds like it would be a great thing if it's true. I might have completely (laughs) made that up. I I do not know. Was Owl City the guy who fell in love with Taylor Swift too? Was that Enchanted? She wrote Enchanted about the lead singer of Owl City. And then, yeah, he and then wrote like a response. 12 years later, he wrote a response. Oh, and she it's was like, dude, dark. please move on. The response, he literally is like, Taylor in the song. It's, it's bad. It's like all of my ex-boyfriend's like first albums. Like, it's all bad. It's all bad. It's just So anyways, bad. my Hill of the Week is revolves around um, Hanif's incredible book of essays, which ha- includes an essay that I, I think is maybe my favorite essay I have read maybe ever. So we've previously talked about how I think the celebrity profile is dead. I think there is no better time, better time to be a writer of pop culture than right now. I think Mm. our access to information, I think the way that we can make connections, I think that the advances that have been made within this uh, genre have been incredible. And, and, and he wrote this essay called fallout boy forever. That is not available to read on the internet, which is a, a shame because I would love for all of you to read it. Um, and it is about how he kind of, it's about the rise and semi-fall of Fall Out Boy and the way he, as a young black kid, was often the only person of color in these spaces and how he made this friend who would go to these things with him and was part of this with him who ended up completing suicide. And Mm. this this the way he weaves them together I just I cried at the end of the essay I think it's incredibly Mm. beautiful and it led to me posting a bunch about elder emo music on our pop culture hill Instagram and revisiting this and I think my hill ends up being if you were not deep in the world of like pop punk emo in the early aughts you do not get it it's a if you know, you know type of thing. Because I read this essay and sobbed because this was, I was, I was in going to basement shows in Green Bay, Wisconsin, watching Mayday Parade open for plain white tees in like 2007. Like, I, this was my thing. These sad, sad, primarily white boys writing about how much women break their hearts and, and a lot of them about how they hate women. Like, listening to some and of this a lot of them hard. about how women are making mistakes by liking other men over them yes and being very slutty about it and for like no other reason but that the lead singer of this song just thinks that guy is a jerk yes exactly 
That said, That's like, that I don't was know, my music. And if you were not, like, Hank, this was not his music. He likes it, but I'll play him a song and he'll be like, cool. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. No, he doesn't get it, yeah. You don't understand Grand Theft Autumn. Like, I cannot do this. So my hill is essentially the girls who get it, get it. The girls who don't, don't. Like, I think, <laughs> because I read this essay about this incredibly, I mean, he talks a lot about death in this book of essays, and I think mm. we process grief and death a lot of times through pop culture and through media. Mm-hmm. I think as a society, it's really hard for us to talk about death and grief, and I think that, um, or however that ends up looking, and I think that we oftentimes will listen to a sad song or watch a sad movie or, you know, you mm-hmm. find your you find yourself in community, and a lot of times the way you can find a broader community like, you'll hear a song and go, I can't believe someone else felt this way. And it's not just about, I mean, it's about grief and loss and always, right? Like, that's why breakup music is, like, when you have a breakup and all you want to do is listen to, like, people sing about breakups, it's because I can't believe somebody reached inside my heart and is saying the words that I thought I was the only person to ever think and feel. And so this essay about Fall Out Boy and the way that they kind of came up and these two, Patrick and um, Pete Wentz, so Patrick Stump and Pete Wentz are kind of the mm-hmm. co-leads of this band. Pete Wentz, who's a bassist and a songwriter, and Patrick Stump, who's the vocalist and guitarist, and they all kind of play around. Um, being so deeply Midwestern, so deeply in this scene, and the way that relates to the relationship he had with his, and he had with his friend Tyler, and... It just really, I think, was one of my favorite things I've read in years and years and years. And so this led to that conversation. So, again, if you get it, those who get it, get it. Those who don't, don't. And um, if you were not, it's hard now. And you're listening to two folks who get it. Yes. And I I do. Okay, so what, do you agree with me? Like, if girls who get it, get it? (laughs) Or how do you feel about this? I I do think that this is something... (laughs) I don't, yes, but also it's so, but I, this is like not just true of pop punk music, right? Like this is applicable to like any, any niche moment in counterculture, I think, Mm -hmm. arguably, um, that there are not, maybe not any, but many, many Mm -hmm. moments in, in the counterculture, um, that, (laughs) oh, how to get not not too esoteric about this. Like, uh, <laughs> like it, it, part of it is about my, I've been reading a lot of Eckhart Tolle, so this is very difficult for me. Um, <laughs> just, just saying. Really thinking about how time is an illusion and really exists mostly <laughs> like it, it's depicted in the movie Arrival. <laughs> and so like that period of time, if you lived through it, that period of time and that, that version of yourself is always accessible to you because, it, because it's there, because it is happening n- now, because mm-hmm. your sense that it happened before is a complete illusion. Sorry. No, I think <laughs> Happy that's... Saturday morning. Do you know what I mean? So I think <laughs> yeah. that... But if it didn't happen for you and you're trying to... You're encountering it now for the first time, it is completely inexplicable. And yeah. you are like, what the fuck is going on? So... Yeah. I yeah. think it's specific for me to this kind of era of, like, Jack's Mannequin, mm-hmm. AFI, Fallout Boy, I mean, Say Anything. Like, there's this, this cohort of music that objectively... It is not 
great. Like objectively, this music all a lot of it by sounds which we very mean similar. is like very simplistic, both in melody and, and like in, composition and like lyrical composition. Exactly. Like it's not earth shattering new but stuff going on. It somehow was, right? Like it just and I, I read this tweet today by Hayes Brown, who's another great internet person. That said, to be a millennial is to simultaneously deeply love and be at least 20% embarrassed by every piece of pop culture consumed in our youth. Yeah. And that, I think, is very true. (laughs) Claire, do you know part of what it is for me is that this this was a period of time, my perception of it now, looking back, is that it was a lot of, like, male bands being consumed by, like, young girls, like Mm -hmm. teen girls, which is maybe, like, still to some degree happening in other genres but one of the I think one of the things about it was for so many of us that was a a period of time in our lives when we were not allowed we were not indulged by society Mm -hmm. like we were not supposed to be that emotional Mm -hmm. um it was deeply uncool to be a teen girl who felt anything Mm -hmm. um it was deeply uncool to like someone so much that you felt like your stomach was gonna fall out your butt like Mm -hmm. it was just like completely uncool um and it was very freeing to have someone sing about it and it's interesting to me that it was mostly men Um, But, like, they sing about it in a way that feels closest to the kind of stuff that, in our very gendered society, teen girls get criticized for writing in their journal. So you, like, are are having all these feelings and people are teasing you for, or not people, but, like, there's a general sense from the media, from pop culture, that it's shameful for you to be, like, at home after school, like, writing these, like, Mm -hmm. sad thoughts, and then you turn on the radio... And Jack's mannequin is just singing it. I think that's really. Uh, I think that's really apt. Or, yeah. I think that's really apt. That is like you feel so much as a teenager, and it is like related, I think, to where you were in life too, like and what you were feeling. I know and that you just like don't really know how to deal with it. You're kind of no. like oh, just like I'm feeling all this shit. I also was not like the the world's most popular girl. And I had great friends who I have to this day, but it wasn't always, you know, easy. And and I I was not like, you know, on the uh, at my high school. If you were on the dance team, that was like the those were the cool girls. And by cool, I mean popular and pretty and wanted. And this was like that thing. And so if you weren't a Troyette, <laughs> it was very difficult to feel like mm. as a teen girl to feel like wanted, whatever. And I think. This type of music, of this idea that someone would lose their mind and their their heart would explode out of their chest if they didn't have this girl, was like, oh my god, <laughs> can that happen to me? And uh, you know, um, unfortunately, sort of did happen to me in in high school. And and it, it, this music now to this day, I, I ha- unfortunately have to associate with one boy who introduced me to a lot of it um, and was pretty toxic and and bad mm. and. Um, whatever you know it just is one of those things where I'm like man that feeling of I am going to die if this person does not instant message me back in the next 10 minutes is one that this genre encapsulates very very well and I think that it it is I mean I still ride or die for Jack's mannequin I think some of that music is 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 Mm -hmm. good as much as I'm like objectively this is not good but I 
thought this essay was such a beautiful way of talking about how um, this type of music personally really affects me and is entwined mm-hmm. in, intertwined with who I am and how I ended up feeling things. And I think one other thing I want to add on this is that idea that this was often con- this type of music was often consumed by teen girls um, is what led this genre to have a lot of predators. And that's something I don't want to um, overstate or, or, or um, ignore, basically, is like there are mm. a lot of men who were in these bands who used that power um, to uh, just ruin teen girls. Other people, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I think it's really... There's stuff I don't listen to anymore, but then there's stuff I continue to listen to. And I did make a playlist. It's on the Pop Culture Hill Instagram, um, and I will repost it when we um, publish this episode. But I think it just uh, it sits so close in my heart for a million different reasons. And now I can look back on it very fondly and with a lot of love for baby Claire and for, you know, why I was so into this music and how cool, how desperately I wanted to be a girl who was like a, a, a scene girl at these shows. And I just didn't have the confidence to do it. And I also didn't, you know, it just was like not a thing for me. And I did the best I could and was the best little band t-shirt wearing, you know, graphic tee girl I could be. And now as an adult, I get to hold this stuff in a different way. Mm. And the way that um, and he f- writes about it in this book, uh, being someone who is who would go to these basement shows in roller rinks like I did um, to see these bands. He was at one of Fall Out Boy's first shows, like uh, before they had even decided their name was Fall Out Boy. And mm-hmm. writing about the way this in- intertwines with a, a very traumatic, you know, experience in his life really uh, sits in my heart in a special way because I I also have you know traumatic experiences that I associate with this music. So I think that this is in, in his kind of way of reclaiming what that this band ends up meeting to him in the context of this greater conversation. I just think it's one of the best pieces of culture writing I have maybe ever read. And I cannot, if you are a pop culture person and, and I, again, I know I'm late to the party on this book, but, and he has written other ones in the meantime and, and is a great follow on the internet, but this one is, is, killing me so that's my mini hill of the week is if you get it you get it if you don't you don't (laughs) (laughs) i love it i'm adding this book collection of essays to my to read list i'm gonna lend this to um our friend chris because she is a uh, is similar to me in the like uh pop punk emo like obsession land and she is coming to visit me and then i'm going to tell her the only caveat is that she has to hand it to you when she's done. So. Ooh, okay. I love it. There you go. Mini hills. Burr, mini burr, burr, burr. We did it. So many this week. <laughs> so many. Just full honking. Should I keep talking about trauma? Is that good? <laughs> I mean, buckle up cuz we are going there cuz I you know, you know. You know what I'm hinting at. Oh gosh. Okay. You know my big my big daddy hill. Look, I don't. So hit me. Tell us tell give us the big daddy. Okay, so <laughs> this hill started. Okay, this hill is this is not the hill, but the, the originally the hill was that Juno is an anti-choice movie. Siobhan, this is my hill. 
I kid you no, not. No, it's yes, not. Yes, it is. I kid you not. It's in the Hill Potter. This week, it was this. We are going to have this conversation today. I, I kid you not. <laughs> this was what I was going to talk about. I kid you not. I will. I, I can prove it to you. I feel like I we should sources. get high to do this now. I feel like that's what this means. Okay. Okay. All right. Can we get okay. context about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then I want to tell you what my actual hill oh my gosh is. I can't believe this is which happening. is still I still want to talk about the the anti-choice stuff that comes up for me but that is not the hill so okay so originally the hill was the reason I keep talking about this is like the big daddy hill is because when Claire and I Claire we started talking about bringing this podcast back and doing it again I was like um, Claire and Hank, by the way, I have this hill that I want to talk about at some point, and, and it's that I think that Juno is an anti-choice movie. And Claire was like, fuck you. <laughs> Essentially. I mean, I, yeah. we yeah. got into, and it's sat in my head. It says, you and I don't often yeah. disagree to that level, but yeah. it, we both got heated, heated. about this. <laughs> yes. Um, and yes. one of the reasons is because you had not seen the movie <laughs> since right. it came out, and I and had. That is, and that is part of my, and that was part of my point, was that, like, I, when I watched it, when the movie came out, came out, and I was a teenager, like, that was part of what I took from it. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> okay. I but can't so. believe we're talking about it. So, yeah, I want to, like, I don't, I can't understate to the people listening to this how heated this conversation genuinely got. And I walked away with it not being like Siobhan is mad at me, but right. we, we do not actively disagree to that level super right. often, which is yeah. why I wanted to talk about it today because <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, like, yeah. we've been avoiding this. Yeah, and be- I have been waiting because I've been trying to like formulate my ideas more clearly. So I, I okay, so I did watch Juno again. Oh, wow. Okay. I did not watch all of it because I actually, well, because hear me out, because I stand by my original statement to you, which is that I, I actually do remember this movie is, is I have a crystal clear memory of mm-hmm. this movie. I do not know why, but there are certain stories that do that for you mm-hmm. that just like they are crystallized in your brain. I saw this movie and this is why Claire got so upset. I'm not saying I saw this movie a long time ago. I am saying I saw this movie one time mm-hmm. sitting in a movie theater, like genuinely the month it, it came out. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it this morning. Wow. Um, I cannot believe this is happening. This is amazing. So, so <laughs> the hill is now, I think, I think this is the hill. The hill is now that no movie and no choice um, exists in a vacuum. And that is the problem with most, including, including us, I'm including us in this, with most conversations about movies is that we treat them as if they exist in a vacuum and they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and Juno is a great example of that because the, the movie itself is about a series of choices that don't exist in a vacuum um, and uh, only make sense in relation to each other. And... Um, and it is a movie, there are a few movies that I have, that I actually genuinely feel this way about. This is a movie that I think you really will feel differently about as a teen than as an adult. It is, it is really smart. Um, watching it this morning, I was kind of upset that teenagers 
that we watched it as teenagers, I think it is I think it is saying a bunch of things that you really don't get as a teen. Not yes. because teens aren't smart enough, but because some of the smartest things that get said in the movie are painfully true and just about like experience. And being um, like an at, adult, honestly. Yeah, like at at one point, her stepmom says to her, "Like you don't understand what what a marriage is, and so you cannot understand what you are doing and what this relationship is and what the boundaries are." And Juno, who's like a very smart, self sufficient teenager, is like, "Screw you! I mm-hmm. do know. Like it can't be that different from." And it is something that is pa- like painful to try to explain why the mom is the stepmother is right it, like there are just certain relationships that you don't have to be married to understand what a marriage is mm-hmm. but you do have to be around married people as equals mm-hmm. or even like long term understand whatever it is yeah yes but but yes long term committed yes but like um yes but not like Long term, we haven't made a decision if we're committed. Yes. Like long term, we have is decided the choice. The that we are going to be together, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of what legal documents coincide yes. with that relationship, like we are in a long term committed relationship with each other. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, should I just go and then you go? What? How should we do this? I don't know. So hill. this is interesting because I came into this ready to fight, fight with you on. Yeah. Because my hill is, I think Juno is a pro-choice movie, but I think your so, po- your point yeah. of it exist not existing in a vacuum is right and is you know inherently yeah. what is wrong with our podcast is that these okay. hot takes are 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 um, do not exist alone. There's a right. like there's that whole we literally talk about I one of my hills being I don't separate I can't separate art from artist. Um, right. And then we had this whole nuanced conversation about separating art from artist. Um, yeah. And so Juno is pro-choice, is pro-choice, being my hill, was leading to a conversation that we're going to have about this movie, which is that I don't think I would consider this movie, and Diablo Cody does not consider this movie to be pro-choice enough, or whatever, however right. you want to call it, and nowadays. Right. And so, and this is something else that I think comes up often in our conversations, but we don't, we've never addressed specifically. Like, there is a difference between, I think, the argument a a piece of media is making and any points that it might also prove. Mm -hmm. So I think Juno is a movie that is making a pro-choice argument and... I think it is a movie that proves several anti-choice points. Yes. And that is, that is upsetting. Yeah, <laughs> and it's what, deeply what upsetting. Is, what is uh, rewarding about it is that Diablo Cody is aware of that and, mm-hmm. and feels the same way, right? And so, okay, so before we get too much further, so the reason I feel like, it's just better if we just address this up front. The reason I feel like this is an anti-choice movie, or the reason I felt this way, the reason that this was my hot take, is because... This movie does a really good job of setting up that the thing that makes this 16-year-old doubt whether an abortion is the right choice for her Mm -hmm. is the knowledge that the fetus inside of her has fingernails, and that humanizes the fetus to her, and she can therefore not go through with terminating her pregnancy, which is a fundamental... That is, like, the cornerstone of anti-choice arguments, which is that people who choose to have abortions 
just are confused about the humanity of the thing growing inside of them. And if they remembered that it was a human, then they would either have to acknowledge that they were murderers or not go through with abortions, which Mm -hmm. I think is a logical fallacy. Of course, yes. A thousand percent it is. Diablo Cody has said since since this, this, she said this recently in an interview on on Keep It. She said, I wasn't when I wrote this movie, I wasn't thinking as an activist. I wasn't thinking politically at all. I mean, the most horrifying thing that came out of this was me getting a letter from my Catholic high school thanking me for writing a pro-life movie. And I was like, I fucking hate all of you. I'm as pro-choice as a person could possibly be. Mm hmm. And I think that, and that is, that's how I feel about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, what, what struck me watching it this morning was how well she tells the story of, um, of Juno deciding not to have an abortion mm-hmm. um, and how clearly it's broadcast that, that it is not at all about like, she's not at all, from the moment she, she discovered, Juno discovers that she's pregnant, there is no doubt in her mind that she is ready to be a parent, that yes. she wants this baby, that she is going to have, like, a relationship with, she doesn't want that, like, she's like, mm-hmm. ha ha, bye, no, mm-hmm. um, and the movie does such a beautiful job of validating, like, these, it's a movie full of weird, healthy teenagers who, yes have sexual desire and like make choices and the movie affirms like every choice that these teens make in a way that I think is is vital to raising healthy teenagers Mm -hmm. um and in the process of that buries all this messaging about like how teenagers don't know enough to navigate the choices that they're being faced with alone This is a movie that is clearly written and made by, like, 30-year-olds remembering their relatively recent teenage years. Yes. And that's what makes it, when you talk about watching it as a teenager, I was like, Juno, like, I totally got you. I also know everything. I also am, like, smart and can talk to adults because I'm just like an adult. They all, you know, I am an adult, too. And you Mm -hmm. watch this. I watched it, you know— uh, six months ago or whatever it is, a few months ago at this point, and I watched it going, oh, God, you know nothing. Like, she just knows nothing, you know? And yeah. I, I don't mean to say that to invalidate this teen girl in this movie, but it is so wild to watch her hubris and her confidence in how much she knows and then see all of the adults around her looking at her going, okay. All right, let's make this, you know, I know my stuff. I remember feeling this way and I'm going to let you do this and I'm going to let you feel this. I'm going to let you make these choices and we're going to work on it together. It's, it's really special. The adults and I mean, Alice and Janney, Alice and Janney's character is, I think the best character in the movie. I I love, I think she's great. I love her. She's great. Yeah. And I also Uh, forget how good Jennifer Garner is in this movie. Jennifer Garner, beautiful in this movie. J.K. Simmons should have won every award. Incredible. I mean. So okay, so this is so this is what what I want to talk about next. So there's this scene where Juno, so Juno decides on her own. So she finds out she's pregnant. She tells her best friend. This is very classic teenage. She's 16. She tells only her best friend. Mm-hmm. Then she tells the father of the child. Mm-hmm. Then and they're all clear she's getting an abortion. Then she calls and makes the abortion appointment. She goes to the abortion clinic. She backs out. She tells her friend that she's backed out. Her best friend helps her find a, a couple who are interested in adopting a baby. Mm -hmm. At this point, she sits her parents down and tells them, and her her father and her stepmother. Um, And her parents, 
I don't want to say freak out because that is definitely how Juno perceives it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but isn't but she's wrong about what's happening. So mm-hmm. she tells them that she's pregnant and it goes pretty well, honestly. They're like, I Have mean, you considered abortion? Yeah. She's like, No, she's like, I'm not doing that. And then the stepmom is immediately like great, this is what you need to do. Like, you have to get on multivit- or on prenatal vitamins. Like, you have to go to the doctor. Like, all of these things that come with being a person who is pregnant. Um, and there's a really painful moment where after this conversation has gone pretty well, her dad, J.K. Simmons, looks at her and he says, geez, Juno, I really thought you were the type of girl who knew when to say when. Hmm. And... I have always thought that that was about sex, that that was like he's he's shaming her for having sex. And watching it today, I was like, I think that's about her deciding not to have an abortion. Mm-hmm. Like that is another reading of that moment is that he's like, why, like, just call it. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Why are you putting yourself through this? Like, what is going on? And there, it is so clear as an adult watching this film that what is really distressing to her parents is that she has decided that she has assumed that she was going to need to make this decision without them. Yeah. Um, and, and that there are all these things that she doesn't know she have doesn't to go know. into this mm-hmm. decision. Um, and she spends the whole movie feeling really frustrated that adults don't understand her. Mm-hmm. And what's going on the entire movie is that she doesn't understand adults. Yes. So there's this whole conflict between her and Jennifer Garner and, um, Mark Ruffalo. No, it's not Mark Ruffalo. Jason Bateman. Oh, fuck, it is Jason Bateman. I mean, they're essentially the same person. (laughs) No, they're not. We'll come back. That's another hill. I mean. Um, So, but actually, interestingly enough, the character's name is Mark. So Mark and Vanessa are Mm -hmm. the parents. Yeah. So there's this weird tension between the three of them. And it's very clear that Juno thinks that they doubt her commitment to giving them her, her child. And she feels really frustrated by this, that she is a per- she sees herself as a person with integrity. She also is a person who knows her mind. Mm-hmm. She's made up her mind. She's communicated that very clearly. And every time there's even like a, a whisper of doubt about the outcome, she takes it very personally and is like very, very offended that anybody yeah. could doubt her character. Um, and what's really going on, and it's so obvious as an adult watching this, is that there is something going on between Mark and Vanessa that is completely unresolved. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where Juno says to Vanessa, like, aren't you going to have a baby shower? And Vanessa says, I don't think anybody will throw us. Or Mark says, I don't think anybody's going to throw us a baby shower. And Juno says, well, why not? And Vanessa says, I don't think people really know how to, how to feel about this mm. situation. And Juno thinks that she means her um and it's uh it's that vanessa's friends clearly know that that mark has tried to leave there it becomes Mm -hmm. it comes out later in the movie that mark has of course previously backed out of a similar situation and um has threatened to leave their marriage before and so clearly like everybody Mm -hmm. in their life is aware that their marriage is not and also there's the layer a certain thing there's layers of infertility in that and the conversations that we have as a as a in, in our culture about infertility it's 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 very taboo. Um, right. And it's very taboo to talk about, you know, I, I assume 
you know, maybe wrongly that maybe Vanessa has had a miscarriage at some point in her life or that they have had continued infertility problems for years. And she's surrounded by all of her best friends with kids is the implications that she has done everything, you know, quote unquote, right. And she, she is still left out of this thing that she has always wanted you know, she's so, I mean, Jennifer Garner is heartbreaking. She does a in great this job. Movie. The scene in the mall where she's like is with amazing. Juno she's is like, like I touch your, yeah. it, it just I, it hits my heart so deeply. And so that is such a, it, it just, there's so much Juno doesn't know. And you're, yeah. I just love thinking about, because I think this movie does such a good job. She is, Juno as a character is so fully formed and so much herself like Diablo Cody just did an incredible job. This script is is really holds up, honestly. There's it really some stuff. Does. Of course, there's a couple toss-offs and there's stuff that I would be like, yeah, maybe not that. Like Elliot Page has come out and said, you know, there's a, a like a kind of a toss-off homophobic line that Oh, there are several toss-off <laughs> like gay remarks that are so like par for the course for that era yes. that people really were tossing off that kind of remark all yes, of the, all the not, time. Not a ton of people, but there were in media often, honestly. Yeah, there were at enough least, yeah. examples in, in mainstream media. And Elliot has has said, you know, I, I obviously would not do that yeah. again yeah. and and which I think, you know, good. <laughs> yeah. But like for the most part, the way the script is constructed and built is and these characters Honestly genius. Honestly genius. genius. And including she, the teen, the Elliot uh, Juno's best friend, Leah, is um, like this very sexy, <laughs> like very sure of herself. It's very strange. She's like a 16, 17 year old who's like super sure of her sexuality and like super interested in sex and in, into teen, in, into teachers is what um, <laughs> Juno says. And so then you see an example of this and it's L- Leah flirting with their teacher and she's like having like a giggly flirty conversation and then you key into it and what she's saying to the guy is oh my god I love Woody Allen too (laughs) it's like genius it's freaking genius it's so funny it's It's so funny yeah yeah I just I think this movie is is smarter than we remember it to be and like I think the stuff that you have a, this crystal clear memory of it. My memory of it is the soundtrack, and my memory mm-hmm. of it was the, uh, uh, to use a word we've used earlier, chuggy dialogue of, like, I remember I being a teen. it's not as chuggy as we feel like it is. Yeah. I remember at the time being like, I'm sorry, this is a... This uh, is ridiculous. Uh, this is not how people... Honest to blog is not how I talk. And then I think the other thing is we were talking like that. It just maybe wasn't those words, right? And it is a bit of a, a 30-year-old writing what, like, a teen is. But the idea is not this is what a teenager says. The idea is we are speaking different languages and have different understandings of the way we communicate. And I also think it's like a device of, like, yes. sometimes when you're talking about hard things, the easiest way to do it is to use silly words. Yep. Yeah, Exactly. And I think it's, that's what I remember. So watching it. Like, that's the first time they say she's pregnant. They say your ego is prego. And yes. it's like, it's so hilarious. It? But if you're 16 and you're trying mm-hmm. to figure out, like, how you're going to say. This is one, what is it? Etch a sketch you can't. Uh, yeah, he's like, that's one uh, one doodle you can't, that can't be undid or yes. something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's not a, I remember that. Yeah. That opening is such Rain a. Rain Wilson. It's, yes. so, it's iconic. Sharp yeah. opening. You know exactly the universe you're in, in the movie mm-hmm. with, with the way and it starts. And if you had never seen The Office, you had never seen Rain Wilson at mm-hmm. that point. And his, mm-hmm. in his career really this is Elliot Page's like big break too this is like 
you know, yeah. a real. And Michael Sarah. I mean. Ugh, Michael Sarah. I remember him back in those days. Wow. I also think it's of a time of like, I, the reason I got, um, we got into such a heated conversation about this is because I felt very strongly that this movie was about choice. And I don't think it is about the choice to have an abortion or not. I think it is the choice. It's the choice of parenthood. And that's what this, this movie does really beautifully to me. Okay. So I don't agree about that. I think it's about the concept of choice in general and how you get better at making them. I like, how do you learn how to totally. make choices? Like, that's what I think. More than telling, more than being like, this is the, this is the choice that it's about. Like, I think it's, it's about, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's about choices. I think the yeah, movie and, is and, about choices. And genuinely about how you get better at making yes. them, right? Like, that you see all these people kind of, uh, or, or like the central characters, the central cast of characters, um, and specifically really Juno and Vanessa. Mm-hmm go through kind of several drafts of the same choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not that they're making the wrong ones and then finally the right one. It's like they're making the choices based off incomplete information. Mm-hmm. And then they're making the choices off of more complete information. Um, and the more complete, the, to me, the difference is making choices based off of what you think other people want or what you think it will do for other people uh, is wrong because you can't, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that the, that if you're going to make a choice, your choice has to be rooted in only in, not in a self-interested or self selfish way, right? But like it has to be rooted in you and what you want. Yeah. Independent of what the other person is going to want in relation to this. I think that's right. I just think I... When I think about this movie and when I think about choice, I think, uh, you know, you look at Diablo Cody's like body of work, right? We're talking about this. We're talking about Tully. Mm-hmm. We're talking about young, mm-hmm. like young adult, right? That, and these mm-hmm. are movies about motherhood, honestly. Mm-hmm. She writes a lot about mother- motherhood and she writes it really beautifully. So when I think about this movie, I don't just think about mothers. I think about parents. And I don't think, I think you're right. I think the general thesis of this is about the way that we make choices and how you change how you make choices. But I think you cannot ignore the way we look at different types of parenthood in this movie and the way that people choose these things. Mm -hmm. Juno had a panic attack in the abortion clinic. And Mm -hmm. yes, of course, inspired by the fingernail thing, which is what leads to the conversation about anti-choice in this movie Mm -hmm. being one that, you know, they show at churches. It's allowed because she doesn't have an abortion. Um, That said, this is like, she has a panic attack. She's alone. She is not, like, I... That is an impossible situation for a 16-year-old that she thinks she's ready for and she's not. Um, I agree. And then I look at the way that these that Alice and Janney chooses to parent her in this and chooses to mother her. There's like not, you know, in media, stepmoms are not everybody's favorite thing, right? Like there's a lot of evil stepmom tropes in this. And the way that Alice and Janney mothers and parents Juno in this in a way that is not like, I know what's right for you. I'm going to take control. I'm your mother. But in a way of like, we're in this together. You don't get to do this alone because I have been here in a way that you haven't. And I'm, I'm here and you're just going to have to deal with me being here. I'm not always going to be here in the way you want me to be, but I'm here. And the way J.K. Simmons as her father, like the relationship between fathers and daughters is one that is a whole other episode of the way we see fathers and daughters in media and and in real life. And I think that 
his the way he chooses to parent her, which is not scream at her. I mean, J.K. Simmons, like maybe I don't even I have to look back at his like filmography to know where he was in his career in this. But when I think of him now, I'm thinking of the what's that drumming movie? Um, oh, my God. The one he won the Oscar for um, with um, uh, J.K. Simmons drumming movie is Whiplash. Whiplash. I'm thinking oh. of that energy. I'm sorry. I was like Steven. drumline with Nick Cannon. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Imagine a drumline with J.K. Simmons. I was like, I don't think he's in that, Claire. <laughs> it's Whiplash. That movie, which I watched on a plane and I do not recommend. That is one of the tensest movies maybe ever. But like that is kind of how you think of J.K. Simmons now, I would say. And so watching him be such a kind and gentle father when you're expecting him to be like, why are you such a fucking idiot? Or well, whatever also he's it coded is. as an army vet. Mm-hmm. They do a, a really good job of coding him as a really gruff yep. guy. And he and gets to be so not. lovely. And the choice that Jennifer, Garner character, Jennifer Garner's character makes, um, the way she, when her world blows up, she yeah. still chooses this path she chooses to be a mother in such a beautiful the end of this movie is just like I really could not get over Jennifer Garner in this movie I thought I am used to seeing her in Capital One commercials now you know it's been a minute since we've watched her act we saw her act yeah Yeah, and she acts the shit out of this one out of this and watching Jason Bateman the way he chooses not to parent you know the way he decides instead oh, he's of he's really really creepy and gross he's it's so, very upsetting it, he's it's so gross and it's so realistic of mm-hmm. this arrested development liter- haha <laughs> arrested development of him not you know wanting to talk about music and and this is like being cool with a 16 year old like watching it as an adult you're like this is gross like there's this a is scene where she, she there's a, th- this is Yes. So this is so much. This is why I was like, this is so much about how teenagers need to learn how to make better decisions, right? Or not better, but how you learn how to make decisions um, and how you learn how to like read different situations, right? So she um, gets an ultrasound. And so she's got this picture of this baby and she's so excited to like show these parents and she drives all the way out to their house and he's there alone. Vanessa, the wife, Jennifer Garner is gone. And he like invites her in and they sit on the they are like listening to music and then they wind up watching a movie and the way they're sitting on the couch um is predatory yeah (laughs) um because she is sitting like leaning scrunched up the way we young people like to with her like feet on the coffee table and knees up kind of situation Mm -hmm. like slumped in the couch and he is next to her sitting basically upright he's got his outside leg his knee up and his arm on it and his Mm -hmm. body turned towards her. So she's like, he's creating like a pocket with Mm -hmm. his like body, like a little cave. Like it's a a prime cuddle situation. It's very weird. And he tells, he calls her beautiful. It's like very, Mm -hmm. very, very strange. And everything he says to her pits her Against, against Vanessa mm-hmm. on his team, mm-hmm. right? And instead of, um, oh, and uh, the only thing he like basically refuses to talk to Juno about is the the baby and yep. like this thing that they're doing together. Um, and he always acts as if it's like private, like not appropriate for her to ask about it. When of course it's like the only appropriate thing for the two of them to be discussing I mean, at all. Period. Is the fact that she's giving them her child, right? Um, and it's some of the most powerful moments in the movie are. 
uh, one of them is the, the scene that you were describing in the mall because, of course, the people who should be bonding are Vanessa and Juno. Yes. That, like, this actually, it, Juno's desire to bond with um, the people that she's sharing this experience with, I, I think, one, is an indication of her age, right? And mm-hmm. it does really freak her stepmom out that, like, they are having a closed adoption. In theory, this is not the way it's supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Not for anybody's sake but Juno's really like this is about protecting her and making sure that she her her like emotional world is is safe um Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that young people often misunderstand about boundaries that that boundaries set by adults are supposed to protect you Mm -hmm. they're not supposed to make your life miserable even though sometimes they do right but the point of them them is not to prevent you from having a good time it's to prevent older people from harming you or to prevent you from being in a situation that would be damaging to you. Mm -hmm. Um, This could wind up being a very psychologically and legally traumatizing situation for her to be putting herself in. And she clearly just like doesn't know because she's 16. And who has ever navigated that situation at 16 before? Um, So that's really fascinating. Um, But but the moments that they get with Vanessa and Juno where they bond over this shared desire are spectacular. So beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I just, I really, I was surprised. I went, I've been kind of re-watching movies like this. Like I did, um, I re-watched 500 Days of Summer Mm. after watching it as a 19-year-old, you know, and then watching it as a 30-year-old. It is, and I've talked about this maybe on the podcast, definitely on my own personal social media, is the way that we read that movie as a society in when it came out is completely incorrect. The movie right. is an indictment of the manic pixie dream girl trope. The movie shows very clearly every step of the way, Summer is placing boundaries and is communicating her needs and um, Tom, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, running over them because he's so enamored with this idea of this woman. It mm-hmm. is, And at the time, I was like, I remember people being like... She's not being, being like, cute by not letting him in. She's trying to not let him in because she's setting she, a boundary. She she's doesn't like, want not him. that interested in him. She yeah, doesn't want like, this it. is it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, I highly recommend putting that on your rewatch list of like, the, yeah. just because I remember the conversation about like what a bitch Summer was for leading him on. And even Joseph Gordon-Levitt has been like, it, uh, everybody uh, should watch, watch the that movie because that's not what happens. Yeah. Um, and it is like that. And rewatching this movie from being a teenager and, and going to the Barnes and Noble to pick up the CD of the soundtrack, you know, that it's iconic soundtrack. Yeah. Truly. It is. Um, and, and watching it now and seeing the, the vulnerability that exists and the, the bluster Juno shows and the, the way she's trying to prove without knowing she's doing it, how smart and mature and, and all these people don't get it. My small town doesn't get it. My parents don't get it. When yeah. really everybody she keeps walking gets into it. every situation being like, I know my own mind and I don't know why you guys don't trust me about that. And every truly every adult is like, we do trust you about that. It's just that you don't really know this situation. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's she's so, like, Burr. Yeah, and so I, at the end of the day, I, I stand by thinking this movie is pro-choice. And I think, but it's not the pro-choice versus anti-choice Choice. Are we saying choice too much? I feel like this isn't a real word anymore. I mean, we have to, right? Yeah, but yeah. So yeah, and that is, I think I just, and that is part of what is tricky is that every, the point of being pro-choice is that you, anybody is allowed to make any single individual choice they would like. Mm -hmm. What bums me out 
about the reason I wish Mm -hmm. I guess and I'm it just puts me in alignment with the adults in this movie right but it is it is heartbreaking as a pro-choice person (sighs) to have the reason that this 16 year old decides to sacrifice her body for other people Mm -hmm. is this uh fundamentally anti-choice argument yes um breaks my heart um, and yes. is is deeply obsessed. <laughs> and it, but also, um, is and it's true. Like I get that that is true. I it, get that that is a real reason that people choose to make. And this is why I. This is how I've come around to like. It's just that nothing exists in a vacuum, right? Yes. So because I, it also was of the time. That's the other right. thing we have to talk about in this is we're talking about movies like Knocked Up, where they don't even say the word abortion. If you and, remember, they say abortion. Right. Like and they can't even significantly, say it. it's a there. Diablo Cody had no control over the fact that when she wrote this movie and then when it got made and released, it was going to be released in like a one to three year period along with a bunch of other media about young women deciding to keep their pregnancies. Yes. Um, and that changes the meaning of this yes. movie it, it, because in relation to all those other stories, it becomes an anti-choice movie yes. because the entire landscape is anti-choice. Mm-hmm. But on its own, it is a movie about choice. Mm-hmm. It's just that when the only choice you see people make is to not have an abortion, it makes it seem like that mm-hmm. is the only right choice to be making. And now in 2022, when we're waiting for nine people to decide about abortion rights in this country, and it doesn't look great, like this is a hard movie to be like, look, uh, look, we have a choice movie right. here because it's it. I completely agree. It is it is hard and disappointing, and I know it's disappointing to her. Like, you quoted her right. at the beginning of this. She wrote this in a, a Target Starbucks in Minnesota, you know? Like, she she was writing our based Midwest on her— J.K. Rowling. We love— We've got to stop talking about her. We're going to edit ugh, that out. I'm going to say now. We're going to cut that part out. <laughs> We're no, not no mentioning that, that person today. It's This is a very Midwest episode. Um, it is for somebody who now lives in the mass- Midwest, but was not did not grow up there. For me, who grew up there, who no longer lives there, this is a very Midwest episode. Um, it it just is. It's I agree. It's heartbreaking. It's hard because so much of this movie, I wish it could live in a vacuum, and it doesn't. I do think you're right. At the end of the day, the movie is pro-choice. Our environment that in which this movie came out and still exists to this day is just not. We live yeah. in a in a universe in which the vocal minority is is incredibly vocal and abusive and harassing and is leading us to a place where unfortunately we may lose the legal right to get an abortion in America or at least continue to make it as hard as possible for anybody to do that and and I believe it to be healthcare and I believe it to be a human right like these are yeah. these are I mean that's just it um and so it's hard watching this movie because I wanted to also say that when really what this movie is, is about one person's choice, you know, and it just or got, a bunch had, of, yeah. And yeah. then the way everybody's choices lead together and this movie right. got released and hit and ended yeah. up in an Oscar campaign. I don't know if it was the same year as little miss sunshine, but it was after, or it after was, it was within it was right a year of each time, other, yeah. whether or not it was the same Oscars, they were back to right th- that energy of like this indie movie culture coming to mainstream was really big in that era of the early aughts. And I think that this movie got caught in that and got a huge push in a way that, you know, when she was writing the script, I can't imagine she thought was going to happen. 
And so she wrote it, as she said in a million interviews, like, just her. Her experience. Like, her... I don't know if the time she had kids or not. I feel like she maybe had a child at the time. But it was her, like, way of processing this for herself. And um, it's a big bummer that we exist in a society in which doesn't allow it to breathe on its own. And this is... I think this is interesting because this is the part that made you really upset when I brought it up originally, was that... I, and I think I, I, it's wonderful to hear Cody talk about about it this way, right? That, like, there is a difference between telling the, the truth or telling an autobiographical story that is rooted in your value system, which may be pro-choice, mm-hmm. and telling a, a political, uh, telling a story that on a political scale is a pro-choice argument, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, and that is the fundamental disconnect that like, mm-hmm. this is a pro-choice movie because it is genuinely about an individual person making a choice for themselves, having access to every choice mm-hmm. you could have and, and making one. Yes, and having the support behind every choice. Right. That's one of the beautiful yeah. parts of the movie is her parents are ready to be like, abortion, right. I got you, and let's go. <laughs> and I, if you are, if you like me, are hungry for movies that are pro-choice and about people who do choose to have abortions, a, a beautiful option is Obvious Child, um, which really kind of flips this movie on it, this story arc on its head, where instead of like ending with, like the relationship ending with the choice to have or not have an abortion, right? Like that is really the beginning that that opens up this couple to having. It's a very interesting movie. And I do um, feel like nowadays we are more open to these types of stories than I think we were when this movie came out. As right. a as a you know, it just is abortion in the early two thousands. Like I remember having a conversation. One of my cousins came up to me once. I grew up Catholic, and um, my. My dad is Catholic. My mom is Baptist, but they're both very liberal. Um, So the abortion conversation was one that was not really a thing. My parents were like, let's go pro-life, choose babies, even though our church definitely was Mm -hmm. and the church that I went to. And I remember one of my cousins who grew up very religious, handing me this little talking to me about it once. And being like, you know, that's killing babies and handing me a little like rose that was symbolic of I, my assumption is a fetus and or something. And I remember being like, this is wrong before I had like, like the words for it. Um, but I also think it was a little more the challenges to abortion were very different when this movie came out than now. And maybe that's just my bias as like being a essentially a child when this was coming mm. out in my understanding of abortion. But I, I do not recall the sort of legislative challenges. I mean, I don't think um, those types of things were in the cultural conversation the same way, but it also wasn't. Um, I think that they were, but in general, the landscape of the Supreme Court, to be honest, was so different that, that the yeah. idea of overturning Roe was so much further away that it wasn't as, it wasn't at the the fever pitch that we've been at in the last four or five years. Well, it also is like, I feel like over the last, I don't even know, since this movie came out, I feel like it has snowballed. So this movie comes out in 2007, 2007. right? Mm-hmm. And um, George Tiller, who, if you remember, was an abortion doctor who was murdered in his clinic, was mm-hmm. in 2009. Nine. So yeah. I'm not saying there weren't. I mean, clearly this movie shows protesters at, or a protester at an abortion clinic, like this was part of it. 
And so I'm not meaning to say that that didn't exist, but the space we're in now feels radically different religiously. Yeah, and so what I – that's what I mean. I mean, I think legislatively there were places where absolutely this stuff was happening and there were challenges to Roe, but on a a national level, on a federal level – the opportunity to overturn Roe seemed so far away that there wasn't the same concentrated, mm-hmm. deliberate, widespread push that we've been seeing lately to to present as many challenges as possible with yeah. the hopes that one of them would we'll be the stick. one that al- yeah. allows them to overturn Roe, right? But like, yeah. and that does feel like what we're seeing now. Yeah. Um, and so certainly I, I think there were pretty harsh uh, legislative barriers in certain parts of the country to getting an abortion even then. Yep, of um, course. Yep, I totally But it agree. wasn't part, the the legislative it's, legislation itself wasn't as much of a national mm-hmm. chat because of the Supreme Court element. And I do think nowadays we are able and to... And I think that's what it was, right? Like yeah. they'd come up and it would be like, bye, no. Yep, exactly. And I think that like now there are movies like Obvious Child, like Plan B is a recent one about teens and getting mm. an abortion. Um, we are having those movies getting made because they've seen, it's like a Juno reaction, right? Of like, we've learned, we can't unfortunately be as ambiguous as this movie was because our current cultural and political climate does not allow for that kind of nuance. <laughs> right. And because, yeah, and this is this is really interesting because what you said is spot on. She does have a panic attack at the abortion clinic. That is, if you are, if you are a person who has had a panic attack or seen someone have a panic attack, mm-hmm. or if you've watched Ted Lasso and you've mm-hmm. seen those depictions of panic attacks, right, it's very clear watching the scene. Um, and I think that's normal. No matter how you feel about abortion or why you are choosing to have one, I think it is pretty normal to, in the moment of sitting in the lobby, mm-hmm. um, freak out a little bit. It's yeah. a big med- I mean, medical procedure. That's like medical procedures in general, not even just right. abortion specific. Like I, right. like I, am- I think in general, like anything you do in a medical situation is like pretty normal. If you go and you like, are you're like, I feel fine, whatever. That's super normal. If you cool. go and you're like, I'm having a panic attack. It's like, yeah, yep. I get that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think what is tragic, the other, this is the other tragedy to me is that I don't think I think this movie ends on a high note for Juno. I don't think the series of events that follow her deciding to go through with the pregnancy are um, healthy or positive for Mm -hmm. her on like an emotional level. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what would happen to that character if um, instead of talking to her best friend and being like, I had a panic attack and couldn't go through with it. She talked to her stepmom who had been like, yeah, it's because you were by yourself. Let's go together yeah. and see what happens. What do you want to talk and about? What do you like, want to learn? How can we? Yeah. yeah. Like, do you want to try again? Do you want to talk to a therapist before you try again? Like there are so what many ways for us to that? go around yeah. that. Yeah. To yeah. go about this that don't mean you have to give up your physical autonomy for mm-hmm. the next nine months. Um, yeah. And that is sad to me. It is very sad. And I, uh, so I think at the end of the day, like, I, I truly, it is so amazing to me that we both came with the same, for all of the pop culture in the <laughs> world, know. you watched it this morning, and I literally have, like, seven articles ready to, ready to fire. Fight me about, and I was like, I have a different take. <laughs> Which I'm glad about, because I, I'm glad we had this conversation about this, because I do, I want people listening to this movie to want to go watch Juno now. Like, I yeah. hope... If you're listening to this, this inspires you to go watch this movie. Because in general, it's just a great fucking movie. It's really well written. It's really and well I, directed. It's smart. It's it's funny as hell. 
and it's beautifully acted um, with this conversation in mind. And I do think the other part of this, and this comes up for me a little bit with licorice pizza too, so this is the only thing I will say Mm -hmm. about licorice pizza for those of you who have not, it's not directly linked to the plot or anything, but I think I have uh, gotten into the habit of watching a lot of very moralistic media lately or Mm -hmm. um, like a lot of stuff that is like a fable in a certain way Mm. that has a a clear message at the end um, that the creators want you to understand that they are like I am trying to tell you something about the the wrong things I see in the world and the the right things that I see in the world and that if you behave in a particular way you will you can expect a particular outcome kind of a Mm -hmm. thing Um, I don't think Juno or Licorice Pizza or that type of movie. I don't think yeah. it is a fable. I don't think you are supposed to 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 walk away knowing anything other than certain people behave certain ways in certain situations and that can be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not like right and wrong. Um, I think this universe is not instructive, I guess is what I mean. It's not supposed to be morally instructive in that way. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of the way we consume media and like the Twitter, Twitterification of, of the way we then talk about these things where you feel like you have to fit it into 140 characters where you have to say like licorice pizza is a predatory movie or Mm -hmm. licorice pizza is a great movie and anybody who says it's predatory didn't watch the movie. And, and this kind of like honestly hot takes, which is what we are doing again, we are then leaving space for the nuance of these conversations. Cause the point is the hill you're going to die on in pop culture ends up, you know, being flat ground, right? Like it always ends up being that way. I love that. (laughs) Because you just have to consume it with all of these things in mind. And this idea that you walk away with one sentence about Juno is anti-choice or Juno is, is, is a pro like, this is a pro-life movie. This is a pro-choice movie does not do service to the movie itself or to the writing or to the the creation of it. And this idea that, there has to be a message that us as, and I'll speak as like, you know, progressive or liberal or Democrat, however you want to identify yourself on the blue scale, right? Like that we can't allow for that kind of stuff because so many of these things are being challenged. Like trans kids can't, are, are not able to play sports in Indiana. Like that's the bill that's up right now. That right. is, it's makes me sick to my fucking stomach and I, I think that's the type of stuff where I'm like, I can't watch a movie about, I don't know, a, a trans girl trying to play soccer and like fucking it up because it would make me too sad, you know, and like that, that it would make me feel too much about that thing. And, and I don't know where to go with that emotion because I want more of those movies. I want all of these stories to be told. I don't need everybody to fit in a box. I don't want them to fit into my moral and, I and mean, thing, understanding. I want to be able to react to media based on my lived experience and my perspective and and those around me that I love. Right. And this is part of the conversation about increasing representation and how important that is Mm -hmm. that until you reach a particular level of mainstream representation, it is hard to stomach true and complicated portrayals of humanity Mm -hmm. that if you are a like and just to continue using Juno as that example right like if the only thing you ever see portrayed Mm -hmm. is 
young people choosing to keep their pregnancies because fingernails for whatever reason <laughs> yeah because of fingernails right then it's harder to imagine which is true and and mm-hmm. may sometimes happen right but mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it becomes that becomes the only choice mm-hmm. or the right choice mm-hmm. or you know however you want to frame that and so then to make an alternate choice is is seen as just that right is seen mm-hmm. as alternate is seen as as outside as different um and so when <laughs> We're telling stories about people from traditionally less represented identity groups. Usually those nuanced and complicated characters uh, sit on top of really negative stereotypes from mainstream media. And it makes it, rather than making it a complicated, interesting, nuanced story about life, it becomes a harmful and painful stereotype that, uh, that isn't representative. Um, and is awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but but that like it, it just it's just worth noting that some of the best stories are about white male antiheroes, right? Those are some of the most <laughs> interesting, juicy stories that we get, and that most that like many many people love. Yeah, um, and it is very difficult to write a story about an antihero who is not like a cis white straight guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're allowed yeah. to see a godfather, you know, the godfather, and it's really hard to see that in any other marginalized identity for this exact reason. Yeah. And this exact a lot of a lot of the examples get it really wrong and it's like, "Oh, this is uncomfortable." Yeah. Um, it plays too much into stereotype or um, or just you don't get to get it you don't get it made, you yeah. know. Um, yep. and I think that's kind of like a harmful uh, a well-meaning but harmful anti-racist like thing that can come up as well is that sometimes then right in an attempt to not contribute to negative stereotypes we shut down these complicated nuanced portrayals of people because we're afraid of it mm-hmm. seeming like we're contributing to that stereotype yeah. so I don't really know what the solution here is but it's, it's like both we need all of, we need mm-hmm. all of it yep we need I no agree. stereotypes <laughs> no stereotypes more movies let's fucking go that's the let's answer go. 2022 <laughs> Well, good. Well, thank you for having this conversation with me after uh, us not talking about it for a couple months (laughs) because it was intense. Um, And I I think this is a better conversation for it. Uh, So I guess the answer to everybody is watch the movie before you argue the point. (laughs) No. No. That is not the point. (laughs) I reject that. No. The point is go watch Juno. Let us know if you agree or disagree. Because um, I, I don't know that we're completely right about this. And I I like to think that we are because I love to be right. But I am also... I feel strongly that I'm right. <laughs> great. I also would love to hear your thoughts on it. Particularly if you rewatch the movie. Because there is something fascinating about watching it as uh, somebody who's now in their 30s and first watched it as a teenager. And I, if you watched at one point in your life and you are now in a different point of your life, I'd be interested to hear the way that your impressions of the movie have changed as well. 
And that's yes. Pop Culture Hill. Make sure, um, thank you to everybody who's reviewed our podcast up to this point. It makes a big difference and it's really we love lovely. It. It's, it's so fun. It's very fun. Thank you for people who continue to share and uh, listen. Like and subscribe. I think that's what we're always supposed to say. So please do all those things, but mostly share with your friends, write a review, and mostly um, engage in media in a more meaningful way than you maybe did before you listened to this. And if you watched Licorice Pizza and you want to talk to me about it. Call Siobhan. Slide into my DMs. <laughs> Thanks All right. for listening. Pop culture <laughs> punnies. I don't know what that is. (laughs) We're out. Bye.